Well, this is the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I think um, for the people of God, uh, we don't have to wait for an annual holiday on our calendar to be thankful. Would you say amen to that? I think God has called us to be a thankful people. In fact, there's an incredible blessing, a supernatural blessing that comes to us when we are thankful. In fact, that blessing, I think, is intensified uh, even greater when we are thankful even when we're going through hard times. There's power in praise. Somebody say amen. And uh, so <clears throat> whether we're going through good times or bad, let's be thankful to the Lord. I remember an older couple, a farm couple, then farmed their whole life and been faithful to God uh, and a little church in north, uh, northern Missouri. And uh, I had commented on the, the weather and uh, as farmers and kind of said something like, you know, maybe sometimes you're not so grateful for the weather. That's the way they took it. And they said, oh, pastor. We have learned to be thankful every single day, whether the weather's good or whether it's bad. It is the day the Lord hath made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I thought, what a testimony of someone who's been down the road. They had the wrinkles on their face and uh, you know, worked hard their whole life, and they have learned the benefits and the power of being thankful. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but the question that I ask you today in this message is, are you thankful? And are you thankful for all things at all times? Uh, you know, do you find some way, some reason to praise God even in hard times? And do we remember, do we remember to praise Him in the good times? Do we remember to stop and think about our blessings or do we just kind of coast along and receive the blessings of God without thinking to thank him that things are going really good now. Seems like sometimes we don't uh, appreciate the good times until we have bad times, and we should be thankful in all times. So, well, Luke chapter 17 is a familiar text of Scripture, I'm sure, to most of us, if not all of us here today and those watching online. Uh, 11 through 19, it records an account, a uh, true account, of how Jesus had an encounter with 10 men um, who had uh, leprosy, an infectious skin disease. Um, and uh, translated as leprosy. And in the Bible, um, it deals with those <clears throat> diseases. It's mentioned, uh, leprosy is mentioned in the Bible uh, 40 times, depending on the Bible version or translation that is used. But leprosy was common uh, in Bible times and uh, Old and New Testament. And the many references uh, to it uh, were well understood by those who lived in unsanitary conditions. Uh, the main reason why leprosy is talked about so much in the Bible is because it's a graphic illustration of the destructive power of sin. In ancient Israel, leprosy was a powerful object lesson in the debilitating influence of sin in a person's life, even though we know that uh, leprosy uh, wasn't caused by sin necessarily. Uh, but it was a disease that was picked up because we live in a fallen world. Uh, so how was it treated in biblical days? Today they have treatments for leprosy and understand greater uh, um, uh, understanding of what it's really like and how to treat it. But in the Israelite community, when a person discovered a rash or a skin disorder, uh, he or she was, uh, was supposed to go to the priest so that the priest could examine. Now, was the priest a doctor? Did they have a medical degree? No. Uh, but they were supposed to have the wisdom to uh, examine uh, the infection, the skin infection, and decide and determine somehow whether this might be a contagious disease or whether the person 
uh, and whether the person should be declared ceremonially unclean, according to Leviticus 13.1. The Jewish law prohibited anyone with leprosy or disease from uh, from associating with the general community, of blending into the uh, social uh, activities of the community, lest it be contagious and be spread. So it was a way of trying to confine those who had a contagious disease so it wouldn't be spread to the rest of the nation or the rest of the community. So they had to be isolated, and consequently, they were referred to or treated as outcasts, that people were afraid of what they didn't understand, much like they are today, people today. Leviticus 13, 14 through 46 declares that. And this was necessary to keep the infectious disease from spreading. That was really the intention when God gave the law. It wasn't to treat people as outcasts or to ostracize them or to make judgments that somehow they were living under the judgment of God. Much like today, that same old false teaching is around today that when someone gets sick, there's some people who say that they must have done something wrong to deserve that. God must be punishing them. And that's not true. And we need to be careful about making such judgments. We see that in Old and New Testament, uh, both when people felt that way, and we hear it today oftentimes by some teachers today. Uh, Or if you can't get healed, if God doesn't heal you, it must be because there's something wrong with you. You know, that just brings condemnation and guilt and shame to the person who can't help being sick. Would you say amen to that? And so we need to be kind and we need to be gentle with people and compassionate. That's how God treats people. Somebody say amen. So these ten lepers, what do they do? They had what I like to call an encounter with the living God. They had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I think these lepers had heard stories about Jesus. They were, obviously, these uh, ten lepers were part of a uh, leper colony that uh, had heard somehow, maybe relatives who brought them food or something, they would tell about this Jesus of Nazareth who had come on the scenes that he was out there preaching the good news, the gospel to the poor and to the weak and to the infirmed, and he was touching and healing people miraculously that he had even raised the dead, that he had opened blind eyes, that he had opened deaf ears, that the lame who were even born lame were up walking because he said, take up your bed and walk. And so the word of God, of the deeds of God, of the miracles of Christ had spread to everyone in that whole region and that whole area, and it just spread like a wildfire. Now, I know about you, but if I had a disease back then, leprosy, which condemned me to a lifelong separation from culture, uh, from my family, from my loved ones, and isolated me with others who were suffering, and all you saw every day was disease and potential death and probably death, leprosy would claim the limbs, uh, the fingers, and the hands, and so forth, uh, from uh, their bodies as they would rot off. And that's what they saw. That's the conditions they lived in. You would be depressed if you lived in those conditions, would you not? I would. It'd be discouraging because all I would think about is that's going to happen to me next. And so you can imagine the hopelessness that they lived with. But can I tell you something? They heard about Jesus of Nazareth. They heard about him. And they heard that not only was he preaching and teaching with his own authority, with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, he was teaching as one who had authority. 
And he was teaching and bringing hope to the down and out, to the outcast. He was bringing hope and encouragement to the weak and to the infirm, to the rejected of society. And for maybe for the first time since they were diagnosed, they felt something inside of them that brought them a living hope that somehow, some way, maybe this is going to make a difference, that maybe I won't be relegated and destined for a life of suffering and eventual terrible death, that maybe somehow God can make a difference. Did you feel that way before you came to Christ? Because leprosy is referred to as a type of sin that, that separates us from God, where we deteriorate, a leprosy of the soul, where our soul and our spirit is being eaten away with our sin and the consequences of our sin. And I don't know about you, but when I heard about Jesus, I felt that way. I felt like there must be something. There's hope. There's help for me. That God somehow loves me. That He doesn't despise me and hate me. That I have hope for an eternal life with Him. But not only eternal life, but an abundant life living in the victorious lane. Instead of being defeated and being relegated to a life of pain and agony. Somebody say amen. We're talking about our salvation that is wrought through Christ and his death on the cross. In Luke 17, these 10 men who were part of that leprosy colony, again, they heard something. Can I remind you what the Word of God says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so somebody was relaying to them what Jesus said. They were relaying to them what Jesus did. Now, maybe it was a relative or a close friend who loved this person. Maybe it was a wife who had heard that Jesus had healed other lepers, that Jesus had opened the blind eyes and opened deaf ears and healed the lame. Maybe she heard it, or maybe his wife was in the leper colony and, and he heard it and went and told, and it spread through the leper colony that there was hope. Interestingly enough is maybe there were maybe 20 or 30 or 50 people in this colony, but only 10 had the wherewithal to have the faith to call out with a loud voice, you see, to call out to ask Jesus if he wouldn't cleanse them and heal them, that they had the faith somehow to ask hope against hope that maybe there might be a healing for me. They had to remain at the distance uh, according to the law, so they called out again with a loud voice. And what did they call out? This is what they called out. I love this. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy. And I love that word mercy. Mercy, have mercy on us. You know what they were saying by saying that? And we'll talk about the power of mercy in just a few minutes. But what they were really saying is, is we don't deserve to be healed. It's not our right. We haven't done anything to earn it. We feel bad about ourselves. We have low self-worth because something we must have done caused this. They felt guilty. Maybe they bought into the false lies that it was caused because of your sin. But all they could cry out was for mercy. They didn't cry out and feel entitled to be healed. But they said, God, have mercy. And mercy, by definition, is not getting what you deserve. It's the loving kindness of God expressed and given to you. You don't deserve it, but He gives it to you anyway. It's the love of God. And they cried out for mercy. Mercy. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us, God. 
And without seeming to do anything at all in this story, I'm going to get into some of the scripture here, I'm just telling you the story, without doing anything at all, Jesus kind of just looks up and says, um, uh, go and show yourself to the priest. But Jesus, aren't you going to get up and touch us? You touched a leper before. But Jesus, aren't you going to get up and come closer to us? No, just go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. Now, this is a power, powerful thing Jesus did. And the Bible says that as they went, they were healed. There's power in mercy. First point here, there's power in mercy. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, the story tells us the beginning, that he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And remember, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, and the, Jews, and the Samaritans despised the Jews. That the Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They had intermarried with Gentiles when they were taken into captivity to Assyria. And the Jews who kept their bloodline pure, that were 100% Jewish, were 100% Hebrew, despised them because they, that they uh, poisoned their, their bloodline. And so they didn't consider them. They considered them kind of just a little above Gentiles. Dogs, but, you know, they didn't like them. As Jesus came there towards them between the border of Galilee and Samaria, it says in verse 12 that he entered a village where 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, incurable by man, there was no cure for leprosy. Uh, But many believed, as I said earlier, that God afflicted this curse of leprosy upon these people because of their sins that they had committed, that God was somehow punishing them, giving divine retribution to them in life. And then when they get into the other life, they'd probably go to hell too, is how people felt about them. In fact, those with leprosy were so despised and so loathed by the common population that they were not allowed to live in any community with their people, even come close to their relatives or their friends. And among the 61 defilements of the ancient Jewish laws, leprosy was considered by the Jew to be second only, and by the law, to be only second Uh, only to the dead body with seriousness of touching a dead body that would make you unclean. A leper wasn't allowed to come within six feet of any other human being, including his own family. If they were walking along down a street, if they saw somebody approaching, they were required by the law to cry out with a loud voice, unclean, unclean, so that those people would know that they need to get far, far away from them and not come close. How demoralizing that must have been. The disease was considered so disgusting and revolting that the leper wasn't permitted to come within 150 feet of anyone when the wind was blowing towards those people's direction. Can you imagine that? Lepers lived in a community with other lepers until they either got better, which was probably not going to happen, or they died. And this was the only way people knew how to contain the spread of a contagious forms of leprosy. It was to those outcasts that Jesus showed his mercy. I have a quote up here from Millard Erickson, who wrote uh, this in Christian, Christian Theology. He says, quote, God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart towards the needy. If grace contemplates... Humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned. Mercy sees them as miserable and needy. And God loves to care for the needy. He has compassion on those. 
Tim uh, Chalice wrote in his, in his blog online that mercy is God acting patient. It is the act of God's patience. It is God extending patience to those who deserve to be punished. Mercy is not something God owes to us, but by definition, mercy cannot be owed, but is something that God simply extends in His kindness and His grace to those who do not deserve it. That is what God did for me. He did for you. He didn't owe me anything. In fact, I deserved to be an outcast. I deserved to be uh, uh, to, to be uh, going to hell when I died. I didn't deserve to even live. Can I tell you that it was God's mercy that seven years ago that God touched my body and healed me of cancer? I didn't deserve that. In fact, I didn't ask like these lepers. I didn't ask for healing. I just asked for God's mercy. Every time I prayed, God, just have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Standing in a prayer line at Athelstane Assembly of God, you know what happened? You know, a gentleman came up behind me in the prayer line and he was praying, God, have mercy on this man. Have mercy. And God had mercy. I felt the touch of God. I felt like something changed in my body and my wife felt it too. God had mercy on me. I didn't deserve to be healed, but God healed me anyway. Now, some people would disagree with that. Say, you had the right. You're a child of God. You know, I felt like, God, if you heal me, it's your mercy. And he touched me and healed me. And so I thank God for that, for the mercy of God, that he showed mercy towards me. And uh, if God had chosen not to heal me and taken me home, that would have been God's mercy too because I'd be in heaven. As like Rose told uh, Donna and I yesterday, she said, you know, Pastor, I'm good. I was good either way. Either way I win, she told the doctor. Either way I win. Amen? We know what she's talking about, Right? So there's mercy. God shows his mercy. And second thing I want to talk about is the power of faith. Not just faith, but faith in the Word of God. You know, God's Word can be relied upon. Did you, have you found that out since you become a Christian, that God's Word can be trusted? That God is not a man that he can lie? That God can be trusted to do what he says he will do, and he, he can promise anything because he has all the resources to back up his promises? They're not empty promises saying, well, I, if, 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 well, I was going to do it, but I ran out of resources. No, God never runs out of resources. And can I tell you something else? The blood of Jesus Christ never loses its power. Never loses its power. God's mercy never runs dry. His grace and mercy never run dry. In fact, I love reading the epistles every time I read it. And, and there's a place where Paul says that God not only gave us grace and mercy, but he says that he lavished it upon us, that he didn't mete it out. Oh, i got to just give you a little bit because we don't have enough to go around. If I give you too much, I won't have enough for Rose. And if I give too much to Rose, I won't have enough for Larry. And if I give too much to Larry, I won't have enough for Donna. And so we have to be careful how much mercy we give, he says to the angels. No, God never said that. He has enough to lavish it on all of us. You know, in this Thanksgiving season and Christmas, it's a time of celebration and abundance. And uh, so many of even the poor will pool together uh, like an abundance for that special day of either Thanksgiving or Christmas. And it's just, we do our best to have more than enough. It's like a, going to a, a full-blooded Italian mama's kitchen and she says, eat, eat. And God says, eat, taste and see that I'm good. Taste my mercy, taste my grace, have some more. 
There's more. There's more in the kitchen. Don't worry. If we run out on, on the table, I'll go get some more. And that's, that's the, the spirit of thanksgiving, the spirit of the holidays. And God's Word promises us incredible things. Verse 14 of chapter 17 of Luke says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, as they went. Uh, there's a key words here. There's a couple of key things in that verse. The uh, first one is he saw them. Every time I read that, it just does something to my soul. He saw them. Can I tell you that when you didn't know Christ and you were far from God and you were not a partaker of the mercies of God, nor did you even know anything about him, but you were lost and dying in your sin that God saw you? God saw you. I remember the time on the night of Jesus' betrayal, and he was in the, uh, uh, the house of the high priest, and they were kangaroo court was going on. And Peter earlier in that evening said, Lord, if everybody else walks away from you and betrays you, I will not, uh, that I'm with you to the death. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter. And I think what Jesus was saying, I know your heart believes that, but before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And you know when that happened? Do you, did you ever notice this in the scripture when you read that account? Is that three times they come up to Peter out there in that courtyard around the fire and they say, you're one of them. You're, you're his follower. No, I'm not. Come up again. No, I'm not. The third time coming in and he curses. No, I'm not. Cock crows just like that. You know, I heard once many years ago of an old preacher from the south, and he says, you know that, you know why preachers like fried chicken? They're trying to get even with that <laughs> rooster. <laughs> fried chicken every Sunday they used to have. <laughs> Got to get even with that. But as soon as a cock crowed, just like that, what does the Bible say? It says Jesus looked at Peter. Peter looked at him. From the house to the courtyard, their eyes locked. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He saw them. Yeah, I just tell you, Jesus saw you in your fallen condition. He saw you, Mark, when you were on drugs. Patricia, alcohol, drugs. He saw you. And he didn't turn his nose up at you and walk away in disgust. But he saw you and he had mercy. He had mercy. You were spiritual lepers like I was. He saw me. And he loved me. And one of the things I remember about when I was a young boy is, is it go out in public places. It seemed like I had a, I don't know, kind of a sign on me to reject, reject him. Because even, even men who didn't know me I still remember as a boy, and they would treat me bad. They would look at me bad or, you know, like, what are you doing here in public places? And I grew up with that spirit of rejection. But, you know, when Jesus looked at me, he reached out to me with his nail-scarred hands and his arms reached out, and he drew me to himself. And he said, I love you, and I don't reject you. You know why? Because he was rejected so that we could be accepted. And I tell you, if that's the power 
the power of having faith in God, faith in his word. He saw them. When he saw them, Jesus noticed them. He didn't look away in disgust or he was not repulsed by their scent or their smell, the odor of the rotting skin, the disease that they had. He was not afraid that he might get what they had. But he looked at them and he had compassion. It doesn't say so, but he demonstrated love and compassion. And so he felt love and compassion. I always remember Jesus saying that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when Jesus feels compassion and mercy towards someone and responds to them and answers their prayer and touches them, he is showing you the heart of the Father, what God is like. Jesus said, this is the heart of my Father. You've seen me, you've seen him. He loves you. No matter how repulsive you are, to others. Don and I were in a fast food restaurant yesterday and behind the counter there was this young man and when I saw him my heart just sunk. I mean just wages, you know, wages of sin is death and you could tell he had, he had lived hard. And he was just young. But just my heart sunk. And I just, I just said, God, show yourself to him. God, love him. Show him your love. I wasn't repulsed. I was hurt. Because there was a young man behind that counter back there working that needed God. He needed Jesus. He needed to find out what God could do with his life. That used to be you and me, right? And so I prayed for him. And I went back and sat down and under my breath, I didn't even tell Donna, but I I just, in my heart, I was praying, God, help that young man. Help him to find who you are. The power of mercy, the power of faith in God's word, unleashes the mercy of God into our life. And Jesus simply looked up after he saw them and said, go, go show yourself to the priest. Well, you know what? They were good Jews. They knew what that meant. They knew that because according to the instructions, the men were still lepers. But that's the cool thing about it. But the Bible says that as they went, they were miraculously healed and made clean. And verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, that's what was them. They hadn't seen the healing. Maybe they hadn't even felt the healing. But as soon as the word of God was spoken, and maybe it's because they heard about Jesus healing other people, and, and, and it's just his word. So they instantly turned and walked away. You know, there's power in faith. And somebody says, well, what is faith? Well, you know what faith is? Faith is, I mean, just a little thing like this is every Sunday pretty much we open up the altars. And most of the time we have anointers down here to pray in agreement with you because there's power in agreement. And the anointers, you know, we, we tell them is that you are conduits of God's mercy and grace and his power going through you when you pray in faith. That it's not them that has the power, but they are conduits of God's power. Do you, you understand this? And that when we pray for people, it's not us that touches them. It's the power of God. It's like when I got healed in Athelstain that time, this older man behind me, I don't even know who he was. I just heard his voice, and I felt the power go into me. It wasn't him that did it. He was God's conduit. He was God's blessing. And what a joy it is to be used by God to be a conduit of his power to someone else. Somebody say, man, that's awesome, isn't it? 
I remember Cliff telling me, you know, Pastor, when, you know, when he was healthier, he could get around. He said, one of my favorite things to do was to pray for people at the altar. And he misses that. And why? It's because to be used of God to be a blessing to others is incredible. We should never get over that. It should never be common to us. And so that's the thing. But this, these lepers didn't see their healing. It hadn't manifested yet. But when, listen, when God says, you're healed, you're healed. And so they immediately obeyed. Your faith is triggered. It triggers miracles when you obey. That's what makes faith. You believe when we open up the altars. You know, one of the things you do is if you have a need, you could sit back there and say, well, I'm just not going to go forward. But you know, when you get up and you start walking towards the altar, that's faith. When you say within yourself that I'm going to go down there and I'm going to have so-and-so pray for me today, that's faith. Or sometimes you can just sit back there and say, well, I'm not going forward. And I'm not condemning people for sitting there. You know, God can meet you where you are. But there's something about faith, about doing something to act on what you believe. That I'm going to get up and I'm going to go have somebody pray for me because I believe that God is going to work today. He's going to move today. You know, when I got cancer, I was up having people pray for me all the time because I believe. And so at a church that wasn't my home church, and I think it's the first time I ever were, was there on a Sunday, probably haven't been back since on a Sunday, but I got up and went down. That was an act of faith. And God met me there, right there. There's power in having faith in God's Word. At the very moment that Jesus commanded the men to get up and go, they were still lepers. There was no physical change that had taken place in their bodies, no visible signs of healing, but in faith, the men obeyed. And they began to walk towards the house of the priest or the temple, wherever they were going, synagogue, wherever it was. And as they went, suddenly they realized that my leprosy is gone. And maybe they felt something in their body. There was a change. That's what I felt when I got prayed for. There was something, there was something that happened that was undeniable. It was God. It was, it was different than I had felt before. And I knew that God had touched me and healed me. There was no evidence of it yet until I took my blood test uh, six weeks later, five, six weeks later. But it happened because the Lord touched me. Jesus always required faith on the part of the person that was asking for healing or seeking a touch from him. And many times he asked those who wanted to be healed, do you believe that I can do this? We see that in Matthew 9, 28 and Mark 9, 20 through 24. Do you believe that I can do this? Remember there's one time that when dad said, he said, I believe but help my unbelief. I'm doing the best I can. Can I tell you something that God honors the best you can do, that maybe sometimes you're going to be so discouraged, so down, so upset, and so fearful that you tell God, Lord, I believe, but I help my unbelief. Lord, I'm doing the best I can. You know, God always meets you where you are. That he doesn't condemn you for that. He just, I think he appreciates your honesty because he knows it anyway. He knows it anyway. But Jesus required a demonstration of faith on the part of the lepers in asking them to walk away even before he healed them. How often 
Do we pray at the altar, whether it's here at the church or at home? We have an altar at home where we pray, and Donna's altar is usually back in our bedroom on the love seat, and she'll go back there and shut the door and read her Bible and pray. That's where she likes to pray. <clears throat> I can, used to be when I could kneel and still not hurt my knees, I'd kneel down by my chair, and now I sit at my chair and pray, or I walk around and pray. Sometimes I go downstairs and sit in one of the swivel chairs downstairs, and I just down there and just praying, and sometimes Don will call down and say, what are you doing down there? I said, I'll be up in a few minutes. You know, that's my altar for then. Do you have an altar at your house? Do you have a place of prayer, a place where you connect with God, a favorite place? Well, sometimes we pray at the altar for God to move on our behalf, and sometimes maybe praying for the salvation of our loved ones, maybe our children or grandchildren or brothers, sisters. We pray for healing for ourselves or for somebody else at that altar, and we, we say, Amen, in Jesus' name, Amen, and we get up from our posture of prayer, whatever that is, whether it's kneeling or sitting or standing, whatever it is, and either we believe that God has heard us and answered or we don't. I tell you from experience, there's sometimes when I have prayed and I've prayed for something for God to move, and when I suddenly feel a lift, like something lifts, that I know that God has heard and answered prayer. And I can say amen and I can get up and move on. You know, other times we go back to the altar over and over again. And either way, we're seeking after God and we're asking Him for His mercy, asking Him for Him to move by His power as only He can do. These ten lepers, as they went on their way to the priest without any change in their body, but I love that part where it says, as they went, as they went. We need to obey God and just do. You know, when I pastored uh, many years ago in a little town in North Dakota, there was uh, one of the times, I should say, uh, when the treasurer told me on Monday morning, um, sorry, but there wasn't enough in the offering to pay your your salary this week, and um, uh, you know, uh, there's not enough to do that, and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, I had five children, one in college, and and uh, had a mortgage because there was no parsonage, had uh, utility bills, had groceries, things like that, uh, that we were respired. And I just like, well, what are we going to do? And so at the breakfast table that morning, I shared the news with my wife and the, my daughters, my young daughters were still sitting around there, and we discussed it at the table, and just prayed and asked God to help us. You know, what was I doing? I was informing them of the current reality of the situation. And somebody says, well, you shouldn't have shared that with your kids about your trouble. that make them feel insecure. No, it helped them to see that we have a God who understands and He sees what we're going through and He cares. And, you know, I knew before we went to North Dakota and even before we came here that my philosophy of ministry is my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, whether He does that through the church or He does that through other people, it doesn't matter. God is going to be the one. You understand what I'm saying? It's a life of faith. And so we prayed, and then I left for work, went out and got in the car, and I drove downtown to the main street to go to the post office uh, to get our mail and the church mail because they were in boxes down at the post office instead of being delivered. And uh, there in the mail that very morning, the day that we had a need, this happened multiple times. This is just one of the times. Opened up this uh, package, and inside there was a note just a very brief note, and there were two checks there. One was for $750, one was for $500, my recollection is right. And the note simply said this, have not talked to you for some time, don't know how things are going for you, 
enclosed is one check for the church for $500, or for, for you, for you and Donna, for $500, and one check is there for $750 for the church. And, you know, I got those checks, and I was just like, <laughs> I mean, I was wanting to shout. And I went and got back in the car, and I, instead of going to the office, I drove straight home. It's on the way to the office anyway. And I went into the kitchen, and my daughters and my wife are still sitting around the table. And I held up two checks, and I said, look what God did. And told them what it was. And my, my daughter's eyes were as big as saucers. Wow. Wow. See? And you know the cool thing about this? Is they knew from a young age that there's power in the promises of God. There's power in the Word of God. They didn't know it just because they were taught it in Sunday school or church, but they knew it because they saw it lived out right before their very eyes. And the cool thing is, is all five of them are involved in ministry day four. A pastor's wife, one teaches at a Christian school and does a lot of missions work. And they found out on their own that there's power in the promises of God. And our daughter Julie, our middle daughter, heading back for college, going into her second year for her two-year nursing degree where she... North Central partnered with St. Kate's <clears throat> for her nursing. And so she lost all of her North Central scholarships. She was going on a shoestring anyway. And she argued and argued that I can't go back because it was the day that she had to go back. And she said, I'm not going, there's no use. I have no money. They're going to send me back home. And Donna said, you know, just told her, she said, Julie, you believe God called you to go there? Yes, but mom, then there's no buts. You know, God will provide. And she argued all the way to the car, finally left and went back to North Central in Minneapolis. And it's not, I don't know, it was the next day. We get this excited call. <laughs> I've got way more scholarships and grants than I had when I was with North Central student. I have grants that I don't have to pay back that St. Kate's gave to me that I didn't even apply for. What are you saying? My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. She had an abundance, even leftover money that year and the next year. What did she learn? That God will not only do it for mom and dad. She was the one with the big saucers in her eyes when I brought home the checks. She said, I knew God would do it for you and dad, but I just didn't believe God would do it for me. Well, guess what? Guess what? God is no respecter of persons, and he wants each generation to experience the power of his promises and to know that he cares, that there's, you can have faith in God, faith in God. You know what happened? You know, basically, we were broke when I went to the post office, and we had an abundance when I came back. Thirdly, there's power in thanksgiving, thanksgiving. I love thanksgiving. I love giving thanks to God. You know why? It's selfish because whenever I start thanking and praising God, I get more benefit, I think, than he does because the manifestation of the Holy Spirit just rises in my soul and I feel his presence and his power. And I love feeling the Holy Spirit. Do you love feeling the Holy Spirit? Do you love when the Holy Spirit manifests and you can feel his anointing and his power? 
And you're sitting there, but I'm not even ordained like pastor, but I can feel the Holy Spirit just as much as he can. Okay? I even know that I sinned last week, and yet I still feel the goodness of God because God is merciful and kind. And as we walk with him, as he in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. You know, God doesn't cast us away, but he shows us mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve through his grace, and he doesn't give us what we deserve because of his mercy. You know, verse 15 through 16 says this, one of them, when he saw, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus, and he wasn't coming back quiet. He was shouting. He was making a spectacle of himself. He was maybe, some people, a little embarrassed that he was being so loud in his preaching or in his uh, praising. But he came back and he was shouting, praise God, praise God. And he fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done, thanking Jesus for what he had done. And the Bible gives this commentary, Luke does, and he says, and this man was a Samaritan. We don't like Samaritans. We don't think Samaritans can even be saved. God doesn't like Samaritans. Have you ever had that attitude that God doesn't like certain people? Well, you're wrong. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves the world. And he loves people that you think you can't love. Well, that person just irritates I don't even like the sight of him. When I see him in the grocery store, I go down a different aisle. Now, some people do that. But you know, God doesn't go down a different aisle when he sees you coming. You know what God does? He runs up to you and puts you in his arms and, oh, it's so good to see you. Somebody say amen. And then he said to this man, Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Now, I was listening to a short teaching on this from Derek Prince, who's in heaven today, but he was a great Bible teacher in his day. And Derek Prince was teaching, and he said that the true translation from the Greek of this passage indicates that Jesus was actually saying to him, when he said, your faith has saved you, that he was actually saying, this man is saved, that he's redeemed, he's forgiven of his sins, and he's been converted in his soul, while the other nine are just merely physically healed. But this man is in heaven. This man was redeemed. And he said, you know, it doesn't come across, Derek Prince, it doesn't come across translation into the English, but he's, that's really what it means. And so this man not only got healed, but he got saved. He not only is going to have a better life because he's healthy now, but he's going to have an eternal life that's even better. Somebody say amen. This man returned to thank Jesus for his healing, and Jesus said, didn't I heal ten? Where's the other nine? He asked the question. So God notices who's thankful. He notices who's not. He returned to thank Jesus for his healing, and, and, and Luke, again, he makes this note that this man was a Samaritan. I'm just telling you, Jesus is going to heal people that you wonder, how could he do that? And sometimes Jesus uses somebody that you say, how could God use that person? You know, God delights in showing his mercy and putting it on display for everybody to see. And people look and they make judgments against God. Well, God, you shouldn't have used that person. Don't you know about their past? Oh, God knows about our past too. 
That's what mercy's all about. And I love, you know, to complete that circle, leaving the kitchen, go to the post office, come back, look, God just met our needs. And you know the cool thing about it is, I don't remember if I told my kids that, the cool thing about it is, is the postmark on this envelope <laughs> was last week. It, took, it takes a long time to get stuff up to northwest North Dakota, up to, through the mail. And this, this was postmarked way last week, probably in the earlier part of the week. But God knew we needed it on Monday morning. And you know what God's intention was? Was a legacy. Is to show the next generation that God's word can be relied upon. That God does what he says he will do. Psalm 78, 4 says this. We will not hide them from our children, the deeds of God. But he goes on to say, but we will tell, tell to the generation to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and tell of his great might and power and the wonderful works that he has done. Is preparing the next generation by <clears throat> showing them that God is real, that God can be relied upon, that his word is true, that God's promises can be relied upon. So even though Jesus didn't withhold healing from the other nine, he blessed him with that, but took a note of those who didn't respond and didn't come back and were not thankful. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. So the question is, in conclusion, is what does Jesus note about you? He noted there were nine who didn't come back. I just ask you a question, not out of judgmentalism. Are you thankful? Do you have a thankful heart? Do you remember what God has done? Sometimes the longer we're saved, we forget where we came from. Sometimes the longer we're saved, we become rather pious and rather self-righteous. We can become like that Pharisee who was praying in the temple saying, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy over there. We forget where God brought us. He, listen, I'll tell you something. He brought me up out of the gutter. And I'm just being truthful. I was a, I was a pig. A moral leper. And God, he didn't even hold his nose. You know, Jesus is, re, is, is really a symbol of God's saving arm, his strong and mighty right hand. And he reached down that hand, nail scarred, and he scooped the bottom of the gutter and he raised me up. And he cleansed me, forgave me, washed me, wrote my name in the book of life, and he sat me on the rock, Christ Jesus. And he called me righteous even though I wasn't because God calls those things that are not as though they already were. And he filled me with his Holy Spirit. And he gave me a beautiful wife, beautiful family. I don't deserve any of those blessings. I've got four son-in-laws that are godly men that I would claim as my own son, blood and flesh. And 15 grandchildren. One of my 13-year-old grandsons hears a call to be a pastor like his dad and his grandpa.
that's all bonus stuff, you know? Mercy. Mercy. I'd like you to bow your heads. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Take up your bed and walk. If you're here today and you've got issues, take up your bed and walk. Go show yourself to the priest because God has healed you. But pastor, I'm not healed yet. Go show yourself to the priest. Get up in faith and just go. Run into the arms of God today and give him thanks because he's worthy of your praise. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, wake our hearts up to see and remember, Lord, where you brought us from. And open our eyes to see the future where you're taking us to. To a place that we don't deserve to be. But Lord, you have saved us and brought us into this place of favor. The favor of God. Because of grace and mercy. And we're so grateful to you for it. So Lord, we give you thanks today. From a grateful heart. And we honor you with our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen.